0: Welcome to Chowder and Dritz, the podcast for Virginia Tech and ACC sports. I'm Justin Kochiola alongside Tim Hurth. It is Thursday, October 21st. We're talking Hokies football, specifically the offense or the lack thereof. A uh, horrible performance against Pitt going down 28-7. What does it mean for the Hokies? Can they rebound? Where's the coaching staff at? We're going to talk about it. Um, But before all that, Tim, how the Braves doing?
1: Hey, man, we're up 3-0 right now, so I can't complain. Julio Irigas has given up uh, a couple taters. Actually, three taters. A couple back-to-back. So, other than not getting guys on base before hitting those bombs, um, it's going well. But being a Braves fan, I'm counting on the inevitable choke at some point between now and the ninth inning. So, we're just in a a battle of attrition right now.
0: Yeah, game uh, game three gave you that. In the eighth, it was... uh... It was a brutal, brutal way to finish the game after what felt like. Brother Bray is gonna sweep him here, but yeah. Uh, yeah. hey, off to a good start tonight. Got to be a goldfish. Got to move on.
1: Yeah, you know? yeah, you got to. And and Jock's up up there rocking the pearls as usual. Um, Jocktober. Jocktober. You know, he strikes me as like uh, the quintessential ultimate frisbee guy. You know.
0: Oh, dude. Yeah, he um, he was a cub um, for like half a half a season, half of this year yep. actually. Um, fan favorite um, you know not really that great at baseball good locker room guy yeah but he uh, he's really thriving this October and it's you know so that's that's all that matters
1: and more importantly I think you know the thing is if you're gonna be an average uh, to slightly subpar player in the regular season his postseason stats are incredible it's literally like he just puts on his uniform when you know the postseason starts and says you know what I'm gonna be one of the best players in baseball for the next month.
0: He kind of looks like a mix between like Smash Mouth, Uncle Cracker, and John Daly right now though, <laughs> uh, with like <laughs> the pearls and the hair. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a he like good gut working. Like I feel like if if they zoom in on the the dugout enough, like we're gonna catch him just pounding some beers. And
1: I love it. I love it. He's got the body of a guy that knows how to have a good time, and I'm all about it, man.
0: Yeah, yeah, he does. So um, speaking of a good time, Tim, this is episode 100. So, uh, congratulations. Um, I meant to look up when our first episode was, um, but forgot. So, that's, that's how dedicated I was to this episode, but I want to say it was around November 1, 2018, so we've been, uh, we've been at it. We typically take a break in the, uh, in the off-season. Maybe, uh, maybe not as long of a break going forward, but we'll, we'll see how it goes, but yeah, happy 100. Wish we were talking about something, um... A little more positive today, yeah. but you know it—it uh, it is what it is. So we're just gonna—we're gonna basically tell you tell you how we see it. Um, we're not employed by Virginia Tech. Uh, we're we're not a Virginia Tech sponsored podcast. So sometimes we bring you the facts, and the facts right now are pretty ugly. But um, yeah, any thoughts before we get into it, Tim, on uh, on, on number one hundred?
1: number 100 feels great it's hard to believe we're actually here i I really can't believe this thing has people that tune in on a weekly basis which is still kind of surprising to me and i appreciate it you know but yeah three years of doing this is uh something i didn't expect but you know now it's become a, a staple in our lives and it's certainly fun so yeah hats off big celebration told 100 i uh got a glass of whiskey next to me to celebrate and Maybe take the nerves off of playoff baseball. But, uh, yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a ride. And as I say this, Eddie Rosario just doubles down the right field line. Um, oh, he's triple. stretching to a triple. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, Eddie with the sneaky speed. Um, but, yeah, 100 is great. It's a heck of an accomplishment. And, you know, hopefully we can set our sights on 200 now.
0: 200, 300, 400, 500, 600. I don't know. You know, just doing my best LeBron impersonation right there. But let's um, let's jump into it. And may I remind you, if this is your first first out of the one hundred episodes. Be sure to leave us a review, uh, five stars preferably. Um, but yeah, thanks uh, thanks for being here. So we're gonna jump into it. Twenty eight seven lost to pit um, at home. So, sixth time in six years under Fuente that Tech has lost by 20 points or more. Uh, When Fuente took over, that really hadn't happened in, you know, maybe once in the last 15 years in the Frank Beamer era. Just to... just throwing some perspective out there. Again, facts. Um, Worst offensive performance under Fuente. Fact. The offensive rankings are near the bottom of the FBS. Another fact. Um, And I also want to emphasize... This team, I don't want to say the team sucks, because it it, it doesn't for the most part. Two-thirds of the team is actually pretty solid. Yeah, agreed. Uh, The offense is the problem. The big problem. Like, we're worse than Clemson now, problem. And it's 120th nationally, Virginia Tech is in total offense. That's 310 yards per game. That's 116th. Yards per play at 4.72 yards per play. So if you look at it, you got to go back to 2008. So what was 2008? Okay, 2008, you had a young Tyrod Taylor. Um, coming off a season in which your offense wasn't very good, you were winning ACC championships. You had a defense that was top 10 caliber. And I always look at those years, Tim. I mean, we were in school um, then, and... <clears throat> You always felt like if, if Virginia Tech had an offense in those years that they were a national championship contender, and they definitely would have been, but it just didn't uh, it just didn't play out that way. You flash forward to this year with a coaching staff that was supposed to bring a high powered offense to town, and their efforts against Power Five teams this year: seventeen points, twenty one points, twenty two points, and seven. Okay, so that's Power 5, ACC, Big 10, Big 12, SEC, Pac-12 caliber conferences. Against FCS teams, not much better, 14 points. Defensively this year, and this is what's frustrating, is Virginia Tech was a liability defensively last year. All we wanted them to do was give the Hokies a fighting chance. Be in the game. Keep Tech in the game. Don't, Don't let the offense not be able to keep up with the scoring. And what's happened is the exact opposite of that. Tech has the, a top 30 scoring defense in the country. You know, they have the top a, a, a top 27 team in the country when it comes to pa- pass defense. They're 26th in yards per attempt. So it's like the defense has corrected itself in year two under Justin Fuente. Under Justin Hamilton, excuse me. And you look at the offense and we're taking, we're not just taking a step back, we're taking lots of step backs. And you look at Burmeister, who's 94th in the nation in efficiencies, QBR is at 44, the average QBR in the country is 50, but it's going down each week. And I think what's been most frustrating this week to me that really is is not sitting well with me is Fuente and company, they keep blaming Burmeister. And it's, it's bothering me the most. Oh, we're, we're trying to make the offense less complicated for Burmeister. Oh, he's not executing at a high level. He being Burmeister. Oh, he's not confident. Again, Burmeister is who we're talking about. Well, guess what? That's your job. And to me, you know what's really hurting Burmeister is they're not utilizing his best asset they're not they're not calling greed options they're not calling the the offense that we saw in 2019 with hendon hooker that would fit burmeister's skill set so perfectly and on top of it typically when you have a quarterback that's struggling to throw the football tim you're going to focus on the run game and they've done everything but try and run the football they had 18 carries for their running backs for 69 yards against Pitt. Most of those coming in garbage time. And I realized they didn't run a lot of plays. But you look at their, their first few possessions. Seven straight pass attempts to open the game. That includes two straight three and outs. They had 10 drives of five plays or less, 12 possessions. And when they finally decided to run the ball... It was after two pass attempts and then they ran the ball three times in a row and then they attempted a pass on third down, which they didn't get. Ten drives in the game of five plays or less. Twelve total possessions. Unreal. Punt, 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 interception, punt, punt, end of first half. Punt, Mm. touchdown, turnover on downs, punt, end of game. That was the Virginia Tech offense. And we want to be here, and we want to say it's not a coaching issue, and we want to, whether they want to or not, they're making it really feel like it's a Braxton Burmeister issue. Burmeister's not the one calling the plays. Burmeister didn't call seven straight pass attempts to open the game in extremely windy conditions guy who's been battling a shoulder injury you could see the ball fluttering out there he didn't have the zip on the passes it was getting caught up in the wind so instead of trying something in the run game you call seven straight passes three straight runs and then you go back to the pass what what kind of balance is that there's no balance and it's just extremely frustrating and literally at this point if you're Justin Fuente and you're looking at it from our perspective, then I know what I'm about to say is going to sound absolutely ridiculous. But if you're Justin Fuente and you're in reality and you're able to sit there and say, okay, we started the season three and one, the offenses look terrible. Whether I think it's on Burmeister or not, maybe there needs to be a change. And how we're handling the offense. Maybe I need to become more involved. Maybe I need to spend less time with the scout team offense. And getting the defense ready. And more time with the first team offense. And focusing on where they're lacking. With Brad. Even if he just made that change. But no. If you're Fuente. You're 3-3. Three and three, You know you have to win the Coastal. To save your job. You're... Your season is trending very poorly in the wrong direction. And he's choosing to stand pat. He's choosing to do nothing to change what they're doing on offense from a preparation standpoint, from a play calling standpoint. And to me, that means he's choosing to be dismissed at the end of the season. Because if he doesn't change it now, the season is half over. They're 1-1 and in the ACC. There's still time. They have a very doable schedule ahead of them. A lot of it on the road, but a very doable schedule. And he is choosing to do nothing. Which to me tells me he's okay being fired at the end of the season. Why that could be, I don't know. Is it because he's got $10 million waiting for him? I don't know. Is he tired of Blacksburg? I don't know. And again, I know how ludicrous that sounds. And I don't think the players disrespect Fuente but it's not working under Brad and he is choosing to do nothing week in week out the writing is on the wall and he's going to go down with the sinking ship and the Virginia Tech season is going down with it because if they don't change now if he's not calling plays or if he doesn't put somebody else in charge of calling plays and I'm not saying that's going to fix everything because it's not but you have to to make a change you have to try to do something different and not put the entire onus on your quarterback but that's what they're doing
1: yeah they are and it's frustrating because you hear those comments in regards to Braxton and my mind always goes back to okay you had three years to determine who you wanted to guide the ship of this offense You ran off to legitimate quarterbacks because you felt strongly enough that Braxton was talented enough, was good enough to lead this team, and was good enough to have this offense performing at a high level. So when I hear any sort of even, uh, let's not call it direct blame, but tangential blame on Braxton Burmeister from the coaching staff, it absolutely drives me nuts because this is your fault. Braxton being in this position and not being ready is your fault. So I don't want to hear any sort of slight shots at Braxton. I don't want to hear anything like that because that, that's all there is to it. They had enough time to determine who was the best quarterback for the job, how to get them ready, and they had years to do it, and they couldn't do it. And that just fits the overall theme of this program, which is players don't develop here. And you can say all you want about the draft picks last year, and that's fine. By and large, you're always going to have one or two kids that are athletically talented enough where regardless of what you put into them, they are going to succeed. But when you look at the bulk of the roster, we've seen nothing but lack of development in critical areas. Most importantly, the quarterback position. If you look at the trend chart on how they've performed, it's almost been like a straight downward line since... We had the issue with, obviously Gerard Evans was incredible, um, and he, he obviously played extremely well. But after that, even with Josh Jackson, it felt sometimes like he was going backward um, as he progressed. And we've had a myriad of other issues that have popped up. And we brought them up on this podcast, whether it be recruiting, strategy decisions, um, you know doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, just dumb PR moves inexplicable coaching hires. You, the list goes on and on. We've talked about them on this podcast for two, three years now. And the, the, the right amount of criticism was applied at the time. But you had a portion of the fan base that wasn't seeing it in the stats. That wasn't seeing it in the overall record. Although I will argue um, that the overall record wasn't hitting the mark and wasn't good enough for quite a while. But now you've seen the overall record reflect the state of the program for the first time in a long time outside of last year. Cause I'm throwing that out. I'm giving coaches the benefit of the doubt that the COVID year shouldn't count. I disagree, but I'm willing to play that game. Now you're seeing a three and three team with a catastrophically bad offense with an offense that should never be this bad under an offensive minded head coach. You're seeing the failures of red flags and smoldering fires that we've pointed to for three years come to a head and at this point there is no salvaging the fuente regime and yes not letting go of cornelson was probably the cardinal sin but it was one of many issues that fuente is directly responsible for so at this point with everything you've mentioned everything i just mentioned the genie's out of the bottle now there's no going back and it's just extremely frustrating to be sitting here in year six after having a golden opportunity to get rid of Fuente in a year where there weren't a whole lot of coaches being hired to now looking at an offseason where we have two choices. We either, with our chests out, declare that we are okay with mediocrity and that our football program is no better than Boston College's and that's our standard now. Or we fire Fuente and we go out in a highly competitive coaching market with a lot of vacancies and try to get our guy. Neither situation is ideal, but in six years, the, what you're getting out of this offense, given that you had a three-year run-up to the selection of this quarterback, a guy who was clearly Fuente's guy from the jump, and years of poor situational play calling, poor scheming issues, poor consistency on the offensive side of the ball, there's nothing you can do. You can't put lipstick on this pig. So obviously you got to pick door B here, which means because we've delayed to this point, because we couldn't see the signals when they were showing up to us early. And because we didn't have the backbone enough to say enough is enough. We have standards here at Virginia tech that aren't being met and it's time to hit the bricks. We've boxed ourselves into a corner where The program has suffered greatly because we hung on to a coach that quite clearly wasn't up to snuff years ago. We've boxed boxed ourselves into a corner where the program has taken a hit. And I hope it's not a permanent hit. But you're going to have to dig out of of years of bad recruiting, which is going to take two to three years. And you're going to have to get somebody that understands the standards here and gets this ship righted and we've backed ourselves into the corner because now we're in a highly competitive job market with multiple big name schools opened up with with vacant head coaching positions and it's just frustrating to see i'm glad everybody's on the same page but it is frustrating because these were not issues that were hidden in the run-up to this these were known issues and we waited until they completely came to a head and the fire became a blazing inferno before we actually decided to address this. And this is under the assumption that we will address it. Because at this point I can't imagine a scenario in which Whit Babcock leans back in his chair in his office at the end of the offseason and says, You know what? We're on the right track.
0: Yeah, I um you know, when I was reading some of the, the sound bites from the press conference, especially the one about essentially dumbing down the offense for Burmeister. So you alluded to it. This is the third year Burmeister has been here. It has nothing to do with the complexity of the offense. I'm sorry. You know, a lot of the commentary I've seen on Twitter, which it is what it is, right? But, oh, I feel so bad for the receivers. They're not innocent in this. I mean, how many drops were there against Pitt? Seven?
1: I mean, there were drops
0: left and right. I'm sorry. Like, it's a team effort. It's not just Burmeister. And I I feel like it's easy to, to pinpoint Burmeister. And yeah, he's not playing great. But there's no run game. They're not even trying to run the football. They're not even trying Okay.
1: Not at all. And then
0: when you do put the ball in the air, there were a number of third down drops that were absolute drive killers in that game. So I'm tired of seeing like, oh, poor this guy and poor that guy. Like, no. Screw that. Okay? This entire unit has been garbage. The coaches, the players are not executing at a high level. They're just not. They're not. And I, I'll, I, I've just watched it. I have plenty of issues with the coaching. Okay? And there needs to be a change. And I'm, I'm not saying, like, fire Brad Cornelson. We know that's not going to happen. Don't fire him. Reassign his duties. I don't care. He shouldn't be calling plays anymore. Just because it's not working. It's not working. I don't know how you can watch this team play on the football field and go and watch film on Sunday and Monday and come out and and think you're gonna have a shot the next week. Pitt's defense isn't even that good. They're not. That's what's pathetic about this. You put together one scoring drive against Pitt. They gave up forty four points to Central Michigan or Western Michigan or whatever directional Michigan school you want to freaking name. Mac directional attack. Michigan 44 points and they lost and Virginia Tech puts up 7
1: it's incredible home it's incredible and in all of those Steinspring years that everybody likes to harken back to and how many times have I heard in the past 2 or 3 years well at least he's not Steinspring yeah he's not Steinspring Gordon Nelson is now, I think, statistically—I don't know if Steinspring ever had a game as bad as we had against Pitt. So all of you people who were clutching not to your— with,
0: Not with the talent that there is on this. And that is that is just what is so baddening. It is. Because I do think there is a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Oh, that's the worst part. And, and that's, that's what is really sitting really, really poorly with me. And
1: that's what upsets me more than anything, because you are affecting these kids' futures by not being able to put themselves in a position to succeed when you talk about chances at the next level. Because there are people on this team that I think have a shot at the next level if they were used properly. I think Trey Turner could be an NFL wide receiver. But I'm not sure he's gotten the best wide receiving coaching here because none of our wide receivers can get any sort of separation. I'm not in love with our route concepts. And I think wide receiver play has been subpar What do you see in college
0: football a lot, Tim? You see a a lot of wide receivers running wide open. Of course. Why is that?
1: Because scheming. It's
0: because of scheme. Yes. It's, It's not because of talent. And what we're doing is similar to what Bud Foster used to do with his corners. The boundary corner position. He puts them out there on an island. They're playing man. It's up to the player. You can't do that on offense. Every single play. And that's what they're doing. So it comes down to scheming. When when Fuente mentions we're going to dumb it down, I just I think about the Whit Babcock quote about how complicated and complex it is to prepare for this offense. Narduzzi tell you that, Whit? You get that one from Narduzzi because he looked fooled on Saturday.
1: He he embarrassed himself. Did
0: uh did the Richmond coach? You get that from him? <laughs> Because you only got 14 points against him or what about Mac? Jay Bateman, those guys. He only scored 17 points. So you feed us that garbage in December, and then we see what's happening now. and then you're gonna tell me that you need to reduce the complexity. It's the same offense. yeah. So I mean, there, there's just a major, major disconnect and an unwillingness to adapt. This coaching staff is blockbuster. We're watching, we're watching blockbuster die. That's what this is. You know the worst the part about this. The Virginia Tech football this? program is blockbuster right now, and Netflix is right next door, and Netflix is change. In this scenario, in this analogy, they don't want to change. They don't want. To think Netflix is a serious threat. And then at the end of the season, guess what's going to happen?
1: Justin, Netflix
0: is going to take over. The, and there's going to be a new coaching staff in Blacksburg.
1: The frustrating thing is we were blockbuster two years ago. We could see all the signs of us being blockbuster two years ago. And in your analogy, we're blockbuster at like the death throes of its franchise status, where there's like one blockbuster store left in Bend, Oregon, right now, and that's us. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we're I ha- still we're having trouble paying the rent month to month. The roof is leaking. Nobody's coming by to eat our stale candy or grab a flick on the shelf. Home movies. Yeah, that's where we are right now, and we didn't have to be in this position. We didn't have to be behind the eight ball. So I'm critical of everybody in this football staff. For not making the changes that needed to be made. Especially Justin Fuente in regards to Nelson, Because this was an issue years ago. But I'm also looking at you, Wit. I know you got a lot of supporters. I understand that. I know a lot of people praise you because of your hires in non-revenue sports. And I have to agree you've done a great job. Hell, you hired Mike Young, who may be my favorite coach in any sport ever. Outside of Frank Beamer. Happy birthday.
0: But... 75th.
1: We didn't have to be in this position. We allowed ourselves to get put in this position. And there's a whole lot of blame that needs to lay at the administration's feet for this one. And I'm sorry. For all the people that are just now surprised at the output of this football program, it must have been nice to watch all those games with maroon blinders on over the past couple of years. Because we've seen some warning signs. Some of us chose to ignore them. I ain't pointing fingers, I'm not one of those guys that's going to pull embarrassing posts from Twitter over the last two or three years, that's not my style but I will say for all of you people out there who accused Virginia Tech fans of not being real fans and not supporting the team because we chose to be critical at times when criticism was deserved, I hope you're happy with the mediocrity you found yourself inundated in because this is what you've embraced and now you reap what you sow
0: so what's, what's next, Tim? I mean, at this point, if we're, we're going to look at the glass half full, which I'd like to tend to do, but I can't right now, you'd say the season is still salvageable. There's six games left. You're Te- 1-1 in the ACC. Technically. Your defense is playing pretty solid. Special teams looks good. You've got a lot of work to do on offense.
1: In theory, it's but, salvageable.
0: In theory, but in reality, it's done there's very little reason to have hope at this point.
1: yeah, I mean you're the not you're not winning games complete, with this offense period
0: no you you cannot win football games with this offense. The offense cannot move the football. It cannot move the football. as we said, Pitt is not a good defense. Richmond not a good defense, you know. 21 points combined in those two games and even if it just got a little bit better it would still be terrible and there's just no reason to think it's going to that's a fine point you've got two home games left this entire year Syracuse this week and then Duke in the middle of November but what we've seen under Fuente is home home games don't matter Virginia Tech doesn't really win at home under Fuente there's no home field advantage. doesn't matter how loud Lane gets, where it registers on the Richter scale, how many waves we're seeing on the seismograph. There, there's there's not much of a home field advantage at Lane anymore. No. It's still an intimidating place to play. But Virginia Tech doesn't win.
1: Well, it's intimidating until you see the offensive scheme, and until, except in years prior, obviously I'm not talking about this year in particular, But the defense and the offense didn't do anything to back Lane Stadium up. They they didn't do anything to support the fans. Yeah, we created a rowdy environment, but the players weren't put in a position to exceed. The players weren't put in a position to make the opponent uncomfortable. When Lane Stadium was a fortress, it was supported by a defense that wanted to rip your head off. With playmakers everywhere. With guys that wanted to do everything they could for the state of Virginia and for that VT on their chest. This is not to say these guys that we've got right now don't love Virginia Tech or don't battle it or leave it all out on the field, because they do. We've seen that. Braxton Burmeister proved that on multiple occasions. We've seen it from everybody on this team that they care. But they've been let down from the top for so long that we've completely neutered any ability to have Lane Stadium be a fortress. And that's probably the most heartbreaking thing is you've got one of the best fan bases, if not the best, I'd fight you on this one, the best college football fan base in the nation in Blacksburg, Virginia, who is hungry for a winner and will give up almost everything to make that environment as hard as possible to win in. They just want to see some reciprocation. And we haven't had reciprocation for five years. And we're well past you know I mean? enough is enough. We're well past that.
0: What's what's typically common of teams that can't win at home? They're not good.
1: They're not good. Period.
0: I think Fuente 16-8 and eight at home. I mean... Not good enough. Virginia Tech's not a good football team. Simple as that. Good football teams win at home. They win close games. This team does not do that. This program doesn't do that. And they haven't done it for years.
1: Well, you hit on a big one there, Justin. I don't want to stop you. But you mentioned Virginia Tech doesn't win close games. You remember that stat I threw out last week? Was it 2-13 when the spread was Mm -hmm. with 3 or less? A lot of those games have ended up close. And you've got a staff that has proven... They don't have what it takes to win football games. This is not a winning staff. And this is not something you can cure at this point. Six years in, you are what you are. Six years in, your numbers tell the story. And I hope that the administration is able to parse that out and not lean on the fact that El Fuente is such a nice guy. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a great guy. He seems like a great dad. Um, some guys just don't have what it takes. Some guys don't have that winning edge. They don't make the right calls in the right situations. They crumble under pressure. And we crinkle quicker than a Dasani bottle at a Justin Fuente press conference under pressure. And that's not going to change. What we are now is a known quantity. And until we change it from the top, it's not salvageable. And I don't care if you fire Cornelson at this point. If you fire him in the offseason and say, okay, we'll give you a, another shot here, pick another offensive coordinator, what offensive coordinator worth his salt is going to sign on for a one-year gig at Virginia Tech with a with a head coach on the hot seat? Not one. Not one. Probably
0: one that has never called plays before.
1: That's right, which is what we had with Cornelson, essentially, whose you know experience, wealth of experience, was that of being the offensive coordinator at Northeastern State in Oklahoma. We've tried that already, and... We can't continue to do this. It's an it's an exercise in futility, to continue to think, and bury our heads in the sand and assume that these problems will go away with time, because they won't. At this point, the only thing left is exacerbation, and the longer we wait, the worse it gets.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, things are they're going to get worse, before they get better. Syracuse has a tough defense. That's going to be an ugly ugly football game. So brace yourself. 4 out of their last 5 are on the road. All of those games very winnable if you had a offense that could score points. The Hokies don't. They're not going to be able to keep up. I don't I don't even see a path to beat in Miami. who looks terrible. UVA scores way too many points. The defense could maybe keep them in striking distance of a Syracuse BC Duke GT But all of those games are toss-ups at best at this point. So if I'm sitting here realistically to you, and I'm going to give you like a realistic assessment based off of everything we've talked about, realistically, I think Tech has a good chance of winning maybe two games the rest of the year. Now, if things get better and the offense somehow turns a corner overnight, again, I have seen zero reason to believe that's going to happen, they, they can win more. But uh, until that proves out week in and week out, I'm just trying to be realistic for you. And at this point, I don't see Virginia Tech as much more than a five or six win football team come season's end. I see them with losses to Miami, to UBA, um, probably a win against Duke, and probably losses to Syracuse, Boston College, and maybe Georgia Tech. So we're just going to have to see how it plays out, but... Until there's willing to be some kind of shakeup other than on the shoulders of your quarterback, who again is struggling, but you're not putting him in the best position to win football games. So, a lot to, to shake out over this, what I believe is probably going to be the final six games of Justin Fuentes Virginia Tech coaching career. Um, Unless something drastically changes. Um, So we'll see. So I think we've beat the horse enough. Let's go around the ACC, Tim. Clemson survives against Syracuse, 17-14. Absolutely brutal game to watch. I mean, really difficult on the eyes. Sean Tucker uh, lit up Clemson in the first half. I think he had something like 130 yards rushing but was held in check in the second. Again, it was just a mix of defense, but mostly like really terrible offensive play. DJU, um, I'm not sure he's got a future at Clemson, to be honest. Uh, Just another underwhelming performance. Uh, I'd imagine that they're going to be trying to bring in somebody from the transfer portal or, you know, hit the recruiting trail hard, but uh, they get it done on the road. They're still winning football games. They've only got one loss in the ACC. Um, And then Syracuse on the flip side, another close loss, their third straight, uh, but they do look like a much better football team than in years past.
1: They do. Um, And, you know, Clemson keeps squeaking out these really close games, and I still am just waiting for DJU to look remotely like the guy that played against Notre Dame last year. And I just can't figure out how far he's fallen mentally, and how the game has slowed down for him this much and not in the good way. When you typically hear about the game slowing down, I meant his physical ability to respond to the mental synapses that are firing in his brain to allow him to play quickly enough to make that offense effective. And it's clear that it's just it's it's probably not going to happen this year. And that's hard to wrap my head around, but you know, beyond that enigma, um, Clemson's going to have to keep gutting these games out and they've got the defense to do it. It's just a matter of how much more can dju give them from what we've seen already and i like you assume or at least this looks like it's headed to the transfer portal at the end of the year
0: nc state 33 boston college seven this game was close in the first half 10-7 um but then the second half started and uh really a terrible way to start the second half boston college fumbles the punt uh, has it returned for a touchdown. Then Grossell on the next drive throws an interception. NC State turns it into seven points, gets up 24-7, to and never looks back. Boston College never recovered. Uh, the Wolfpack pitch a 23-0 shutout in the second half, and uh, Devin Leary and company are rolling.
1: Yeah, NC State's rolling, just a matter of finding consistency in every game. I mean, obviously you had the Mississippi State game where they weren't sharp to say the least, and the Louisiana Tech game where – they weren't quite the NC State we've seen in some other games this year. And if NC State can find that consistency, um, you know, I think this is a year that they could win their side of the division and go to the ACC title game, which would be, you know, that's been Doran's goal since he got to NC State. And they certainly got the talent to do it this year, um, not to foreshadow too much or get into the other side of things. But I think this Miami game coming up will tell you a lot about the Wolf Wolfpack. Um, but things are looking good right now. That Boston College game. In uh, Chestnut Hill is always a hard one. And uh, NC State coming out convincingly on top after the whistle sounded.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, UNC survives Miami 45-42. Uh, again, another game for Miami that comes down to the wire. They just can't get it done. Ended with a Tyler Van Dyke throwing an interception in the red zone uh, in, uh, I think, the last like 15 seconds of the game. So another heartbreaker. Uh their coastal hopes are, are dwindling. I'm not going to say they're gone, but they don't look good. They're 0-2 in the conference. Losses to UVA and North Carolina. For UNC, I, I guess they just don't have a defense this year. I don't know. Um, Sam Howell, big day on the ground, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Okay day through the air. Um, but, you know, UNC, they hold it 3-3 and in conference play. They're alive in the coastal. Uh, not not very good chances, but they're alive. So they're they're winning. Um, and that's kind of what matters at this point.
1: Yeah, they're alive. Um, you know, when you look at the statistics for UNC on the year, specifically versus the rest of the ACC, I think the more shocking thing is that Sam Howell's kind of middling as far as stats go, um, which if coming into the year you believed the media hype that he was a Heisman candidate, and I certainly bought in. I mean, I loved a lot of what I saw of Sam Howell last year. The fact that he's where he is right now is certainly surprising, and UNC escaping with a bit of good fortune there at the end because it looked like Miami was about to uh, put the nail in their coffin uh, until an unfortunate turnover happened and UNC was able to walk away with the W. But, um, yeah, UNC continuing to be a certainly a, a strange team and not at all what everyone seemed to expect coming into the season.
0: UVA 48, Duke nothing. Just a... Uh, mm brutal 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 beat down by the Cavs on the old Dukies luckily not a whole lot of uh, Blue Devil football fans out there to kind of feel that pain but uh yeah just another embarrassing performance by Duke uh you'd have to think that there's going to be some kind of change in direction of that program pretty soon uh 48 nothing is uh yeah that's 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 gonna sting for a while
1: Justin, would you say the UVA offense has a lot more talent than Virginia Tech?
0: I don't know.
1: No, right. So I just want no, everybody to point really out don't. this is what effective offensive... I think they have a better quarterback. Right. Well, that, that speaks to my point. This is what effective offensive coaching looks like and what effective development at the quarterback position looks like. Because the growth we've seen from UVA's quarterback this year uh, compared to last year is just astounding. Obviously, he fits well in the scheme, and they are getting people open constantly because of good scheming and effective play calling. This is not uh, to say that UVA is, talent-wise, far better than Virginia Tech. I think they're probably about on the same playing field on the offensive side of the ball, talent-wise. And a lot of that quarterback disparity you see is due to good development. But I will say this is exactly why Virginia Tech needs to change it up Because when you talk about Netflix, if we're blockbuster, UVA is Netflix. And what you see from that offense in that coaching, it's not going anywhere. So if we want to continue to compete and continue to be better than Little Brother, we've got to make a change. Because this is what effective offensive football looks like. And UVA continues to go out there and shows, despite not having what I would call a dynamic playmaker, They're getting the most out of their talent in a way that many struggle to in college football. And certainly Virginia Tech can only hope to aspire to at some point within the next few years.
0: So let's jump over to the Syracuse preview. This is going to be a tough game to watch, um, to experience really in any way, any capacity. Um quick look at Syracuse here. Drop three straight to Florida State, Wake, and Clemson. Uh, lost every single one of those games by three points. So, they're a tough team. They compete. They control the clock. They play good defense. They play good special teams. Had it not been for uh, a laces in um, placement of a kick, they'd probably go to overtime with Clemson. Because um, their kicker is one of the best in the country. So, you know, I think for Syracuse at this point, what's most important is their offense has gone in the opposite direction of Virginia Tech's this season. They came in with no identity and have since established one. They made the change from DeVito. They moved over to Garrett Schrader, at quarterback. And Schrader's a guy who, not a big threat throw in the football, but he's somebody who can beat you with his legs. And you add that in with, a Sean Tucker who, if you haven't familiarized yourself with Syracuse or you don't know who Sean Tucker is, you should probably familiar familiarize yourself with him because he's one of the best running backs in the country.
1: Borderline Heisman candidate?
0: He would be if he wasn't at Syracuse. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's second in the nation in rushing got 948 yards on the ground. He's averaging 6.1 yards per carry. Syracuse is averaging 231 yards on the ground. They've rushed for 20 touchdowns. So that's going to be a, uh, a big challenge for the Virginia Tech defense, a team that is it's better against the pass than they are against the run. So there's a big challenge ahead for that group. Defensively for Syracuse, You know, second-fewest yards in the ACC allowed at 309. That's right at what Virginia Tech is averaging per game. They lead the league in sacks at 24 and tackles for loss with 52. So it's going to be a tough one um, for Virginia Tech to win, uh, to be honest with you. I think some of the keys to the game for me, Tim, the first one I've got here is block Cody Roscoe. Who's Cody Roscoe? He's a defensive end transfer from, I want to say, McKinney State. Roscoe has 7.5 sacks and 10.5 tackles for a loss this year. So pretty dominant player there on the defensive line for the old Orange with a Virginia Tech offensive line that's been shaky. And you mix that in with the offense that's struggling, if they have Roscoe living in the backfield, it's going to be a long day. So... How you handle him um, is gonna be a big key to success on how Virginia Tech can come out and sustain drives. The next key, Tim, establish the run. You know, I think I, I beat that drum quite a bit in my previous comments. Just try and run the football, commit to it, have a plan. There's been no plan around the run game. It, it feels very ad hoc to me, very fragmented. It's just, it's difficult to understand. You call seven straight plays, uh, seven straight passing plays, and then you run the ball three straight times, and then you pass the ball four straight times, and you run it twice. I mean, I mean that's not, that's not balance. You know, that's a squirrel running around the yard with an acorn. You can't figure out where to bury it. There's no plan. So, Virginia Tech has 17 running backs on the roster, and they can't find one that they like. So that right there is an indictment on the staff. Get it together, focus on the run, maybe find some success, but stop quitting on the run game. Maybe you'll give yourself a chance to win.
1: Couldn't agree more. I think that's been one of the most disappointing things for me in this offense has been the inability to figure out how to have an effective run game. With a stable of running backs that we've got, um, I see that as a huge indictment and it's something that's got to be corrected. You can't have a two-dimensional offense if you have your halfbacks essentially giving you nothing. And with the guys that we have on this roster, I can't see this as a talent issue. Now, a lot of it has to do with shuffling of offensive line, but I don't want to hear excuses in regards to this in year six. Figure it out and this is the game we need to do that.
0: Last key to the game, contain Tucker. They're not going to be able to stop him. He's too good. But you can you can slow him down. You can't let him single-handedly control the game. And so, this is their toughest matchup of the season when it comes to to a running back and like I mentioned, the Hokies are below average at stopping the run. Not really what you want to hear in a matchup like this, especially a team that's offensive identity is run the football. So that, to me, is probably the most important key to the game. Anything else, Tim, you want to add around Syracuse before we jump into a prediction? Nothing
1: to add. I just think it's important to point out we haven't faced a truly elite tailback this year, um, and we are going to see that in spades this coming weekend and as you mentioned the real weakness of this Hokie defense lies in run defense and that's super concerning going into a game where a team has an established identity on the ground and a proven stud at tailback so um you know maybe some Hokies I think we're looking at this game and even the most optimistic we're saying you know what it's still Syracuse um it's not Syracuse hasn't had a running back quite like this uh for a long time and this is going to be a huge battle, figuring out how to slow them down on the ground. And you add the fact in that they've got a dynamic, at least a dual threat quarterback, not, so, not sure how much of a threat he is with his arm, but a dual threat in the sense that he can make plays on the ground. And this could be a long day uh, for the Virginia Tech defense.
0: Yeah, so from your standpoint, Tim, how do you see this game playing out?
1: This feels like a 28-17 game for me with
0: Syracuse uh, taking home the victory. So I think it's going to be a close game. Ugly game. Probably a lot of three and outs. Uh, a lot of head-scratching coaching decisions on both sides uh, because both sides have their have their issues. Um, it's probably going to come down to which coaching staff makes the least amount of mistakes, if I'm being honest. And when you look at... The two Syracuse this year, they're six and one against the spread. Hokies are two and four. Fuente is two and thirteen when the spread is three points or less. Right now the spread is sitting at minus three and a half in the Hokies' favor. So I'm taking Syracuse. I think they went outright. Yep. I've felt like they'd went outright for a couple of weeks now. Even before going into the Notre Dame game, I had Syracuse circled on the calendar as a matchup that is not very good for Virginia Tech. You look at Syracuse defensively, it's the best defense they're going to face all year up to this point. You look at their offense, the best running back Virginia Tech has faced coming into this game is Letty Brown. Letty Brown took the second play of the game 80 yards to the house had 160 plus yards rushing for West Virginia with a pretty bad offensive line. So you think about that, you think about the way Syracuse is structured, it's, it's just not a good matchup for Virginia Tech. Um, I think Syracuse kicks a field goal as time expires, laces out, it goes through. Syracuse 16, Tech 14, very low scoring game. I don't think a lot of points are going to be scored. Um, probably going to come down to turnovers, coaching, things like that. Um, It's going to be ugly, but I don't think Virginia Tech is going to pull this one out. And again, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to give you a realistic assessment of where this program is at right now. They can't move the ball offensively. Syracuse is good defensively. You know, what what does that give you? That gives you a Syracuse victory. Let's move into Week 8 ACC predictions, Tim. So we're on the same page for the Virginia Tech-Syracuse matchup. Uh, Up next, I've got Wake Forest... Oh, hold on. Let's, let's recap. So last week you finally picked more winners for me than me. <laughs> so you went two and four in week six. I went one and five. In week seven, I went four and two, and you were uh, three and three. So, hey, at least congratulations on 500. I'll take it at this point. Um, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't lose any more ground. Well, you did, um, but you know you're getting there. You're, I think you're at the twenty mark now. I don't have the uh, the full records in front of me right now. I believe you're at twenty and thirty-two or twenty-one and thirty-two, something like that. And I'm thirty-two and twenty-one, so somewhere somewhere in that ballpark. So, you know, let's let's see how this week goes. I have a feeling we're gonna have similar picks this week. But Wake Forest at Army. Wake's a three and a half point favorite interesting line who you got
1: well given army has a good season they're well coached uh an offensive system that wake forest is not going to see now that paul johnson is out of the acc i really wanted to pick army in this case um but i'm a big fan of what they do over there in wake forest in that system and i think they've had you know a lot of good games this year. A lot of games that were much tighter than I thought they would be. I don't see this as being one of them, so I'm going to take Wake Forest to cover the spread.
0: Yeah, Army obviously with the triple option. They're averaging 295 yards rushing per game. On the other side of the ball, they're only allowing 78 yards per game on the ground. So that's something to watch. Can Wake establish the run? Uh, I do think this spread is more about Vegas not believing in Wake than it is about Army's chances. So it tells me Vegas isn't buying Wake Forest at this point. I'm going to buy Wake Forest. I think uh, they probably win this game by at least a touchdown. Um, But we'll see what happens. Probably going to be a quick game, I'm guessing. It always is when you have the triple option. Clemson at Pitt. Pitt is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah.
1: I need this to be Pitt But the way that Clemson Keeps grinding out results um, I just I can't pick Pitt as a favorite against Clemson psychologically My mind won't allow it to happen Even though they have one of the best offenses in college football Clemson is one of the best defenses in college football Clemson does enough I'm not really willing to call them The outright winner Um, But I will take Clemson in the points in this one, even though I feel terrible about it.
0: Yeah, Clemson, man, you're just, you're not willing. You're just not willing to let it go.
1: I can't let it go. I'm like (laughs) Jack at the end of the Titanic. I am clinging to the frozen door that is Clemson football, and I will be swallowed by the abyss before I pick against them. So let's roll Clemson like on this one. You're the guy who
0: picks like Reggie Bush, number two in the fantasy <laughs> football draft every year. And you're just like, I know this is the year.
1: All flash, no and substance, baby. The All season on the Tigers.
0: Starts and you just can't bench him. Nope. Because can't you just it. know when you do, he's going to explode. Oh, yeah, that's when you get the 30-point week. They're not going to explode. They're just not. This is a bad matchup for Clemson. You know, we saw Pickett's most difficult opponent last week defensively. He still put up solid numbers. Clemson defense is better than Virginia Tech's. I still think Pickett's going to find success. Clemson's D, it's been vulnerable at times, though. And so I think Pitt is arguably the best team in the ACC. They're in that conversation with Wake and NC State. And I just don't think Clemson is in that tier this year. And I'm going to pick Pitt to cover, and I could see them winning this game by by double digits, to be honest. Uh, Boston college at Louisville. Louisville is a six and a half point favorite. Who you got?
1: So another one that on its surface feels weird and I may end up regret it, regretting it. I just think Boston college is too one dimensional right now. I like what Lake Cunningham gives you on the Louisville side of things from a dual threat playmaking standpoint. Um, again, Boston college disappointed last week in their game against NC state. um, probably a little closer than the final score uh made it seem but there's something about this louisville program they seem to be rising to the occasion uh more times than not when i bet against them i like malik cunningham i like louisville by multiple touchdowns in this game like i said i just think boston college is a little too easy to game plan for uh for a defense that needs all the edge they can get to be effective i think this gives them enough for their athletic uh at least their athletes on defense, to stand out a little bit. So I am going to take Louisville to cover the spread. Um, And obviously, as I mentioned, I'd take them by multiple touchdowns, but I'm really liking the Cardinals in this matchup.
0: Yeah, yeah, I just don't trust Louisville. Um, I don't love Boston College's offense. Don't get me wrong. But they're coming off back-to-back losses, close loss against Clemson. Like you said, I think the NC State game was closer than the final score indicated, but the score was the score, right? They turned the ball over, and NC State took advantage of that. I think um, Louisville is in this uh, not in the same class as uh, NC State, they're too inconsistent. Um, I think Boston College is better coached than Louisville. And uh, I think BC's defense is going to keep it close. Closer than the six and a half. I'm not sure they win. Uh, It's kind of a coin flip game for me. I may regret it, but I'm going to take BC to cover. NC State at Miami. NC State is a two and a half point favorite. Seems a little low to me, Tim. What do you think?
1: I think it is a little low. I think uh, if you look at the game last year with De'Ara King, that was a game that NC State had in hand and should have won. Um, I, I don't think Van Dyke gives them obviously the same playmaking edge that Derek King does. NC state seems to, I don't want to say they figured it out, um, but NC state seems to be playing better um, and seems to be trending up, at least in a consistency standpoint. And I think we're going to get more of that. I think NC state is a team with much better coaching than Miami, especially when you talk at coaching at the top. And I think that matters. I think NC state's going to be ready to play. Um, And I agree. I think the spread is a little too tight. So I feel uh, no qualms in saying that NC State covers the spread gets the win.
0: Yeah, this is the lock of the week for me. I'm going NC State. I'm going to throw some extra bills at this one, just like I did UVA last week against Duke. Uh, Miami's D is going to give up a lot of points. That's what Miami's defense does. NC State actually has a good defense. They're only allowing 14 points per game. I think you mix that in with Van Dyke, who's still young. He's inexperienced. He's making poor decisions in key moments. Uh, for me, worst-case scenario, NC State wins the game by three points. That gets them the cover in this scenario. I like the Wolfpack. Georgia Tech at UVA. UVA's a minus six-and-a-half-point favorite. How you feeling?
1: Another easy one for me here. I'm going UVA. I just like too much what I've seen from that offense, and they are rolling at the moment. Um, I think Armstrong is playing at a borderline elite level, Um, and even though I do like Georgia Tech more than their record indicates, I'm going to take, uh, obviously, the Cavaliers here based on what I said to cover the spread, get the win, um, and go home happy.
0: Yeah, I'm taking UVA too. I think uh, they've just got too much firepower on offense. Um, You just don't know what you're going to get from Georgia Tech. You know What team's going to show up? They're too inconsistent. Uh, they're too turnover prone, um, and I just don't think they can put up the points to to even compete with UVA. Uh, UVA is going to score in bunches. I think it's going to be more in line with the Georgia Tech pit score uh, than it would any other game that Georgia Tech has played this year. So, I like UVA by uh, by multiple touchdowns. Tim, what's your wild card game of the week?
1: so wild card game of the week I wanted to mix it up I feel like I've gone SEC uh, recently so I'm going to go uh, big 12 here and let me look up the spread the game I'm picking is Iowa State versus Oklahoma State Oklahoma State coming off of a big win last week um, and that always you know when when I have a team that has a big win you always look for that letdown in the following week I think both teams are well coached but I like Campbell a little bit better uh, than I like Gundy Um, So I'm going to take Iowa State here as the underdog, and I'm pulling up the latest line, and I'm seeing, well, they're not the underdog in this case. They're minus seven against Oklahoma State, but I still like them uh, in that game. You know, with the game being at Jack Trice Stadium, um, a well-coached team, Iowa State, a team that has no struggle putting up points against an Oklahoma State team, which, no surprise, it's Big 12 doesn't struggle with scoring either. I think they're going to win by multiple touchdowns. I see this as a classic letdown game, so I'm going to hammer the Cyclones in this one to cover the spread. Again, come away happy with the win, and uh, it should be exciting, at, at least, given the uh, nature of the Big 12 and how these games usually play out.
0: Well, it took eight weeks, but we picked the same wildcard game, so that's exciting. You gotta, You had to have some excitement in this 100th episode of ours, but I'm actually on the flip side. I'm going Oklahoma State. I think they're... Number eight in the country, they're six and zero. They're going into Iowa State, who's four and two. They've had some disappointing losses. You know Oklahoma State. They play teams tight. You know they both had a common matchup against Baylor. Um, Oklahoma State came out on the better side than that. I just I, I think the game, whether or not Oklahoma State wins, I don't really care. But I think they're going to keep it closer than uh, seven points. So. Um, yeah, we'll see how that one shakes out. So uh, that is, those are our picks. Uh, we'll see how they how they play. Um, the Braves are, they're teetering. They're teetering. Don't you five, say that. 5-2? Don't you say that. Is it 5-2 now?
1: Three-point lead, or three-run lead in the Braves. You should never trust it. It feels tenuous at best. But we're going to try to stay positive yeah. in here and say that the Braves end up closing this one out. But yeah, it's 5-2 um our best friend chris martin just gave up a couple runs that's obviously a shame but um yeah we're gonna keep rolling we've got four more innings to go and hopefully when you guys are listening to this you're seeing the braves up 3-1 on the series that would make me a very very happy camper heading into one more game in la um, and a potential to close it out tomorrow but we will see uh, with the braves nothing is a sure thing
0: when was the last time the braves were up 3-1 in the series
1: don't talk about that.
0: I'm it's so irrelevant.
1: Sorry. It's irrelevant. It was I'm last year, but saying. it's irrelevant. It was the same Don't team, but it's irrelevant. Um, we're not going to bring up those demons, which haunt me on a daily basis. But thank you, Justin, for um, you know bringing that to the table.
0: Yeah. Well. But Baltimore Orioles got to, they've been to one uh, pennant in, in my lifetime, and they got swept by the Kansas City Royals. So that's uh, that's where I'm at. So that's our show for the day. Thanks for listening. We are Chowder and Grids, the podcast for ACC and Hokie sports. Um, we appreciate you, uh, you being here. So, Tim, why don't you tell everybody what they can do for us?
1: Keep interacting with us on Twitter. We appreciate that. Leave us a five-star review if you're so inclined. We certainly love reading them, and we like the exposure um you know if you've got any complaints you can leave those in the dms let us know where we're failing how we can get better and we're happy to attempt to improve uh, but there is no guarantee on that policy as we are certainly limited uh by our lack of experience and um you Listen, know our... if you're
0: from bend oregon and work at blockbuster oh it's i'm nothing sorry personal
1: i'm sorry and i think you're it's still in personal. business and i am all for a nostalgia blast We love blockbuster. we appreciate what you bring to the pacific northwest community um, you're an absolute staple and I hope you are in I still business. i got my
0: Blockbuster card.
1: 100 years from now, I love Blockbuster. Well, I loved Blockbuster. I haven't been in one in, you know, 18 years, but I'm sure that that Bend, Oregon Blockbuster has the same nostalgic smell of stale popcorn and candy. Um, and I imagine everyone who, uh, goes to that establishment comes back with a smile on their face and much better for it. So more power to you Blockbuster and Bend, Oregon, uh, shouts to that analogy, because otherwise we wouldn't be able to give everyone the answer to that trivia question, which you may have at bar trivia next time. The last franchise for Blockbuster as of last year, the last time I checked was the one and only Bend, Oregon. And if it has fallen, um, a moment of silence for Blockbuster, you were an absolute staple of my childhood.
0: Yeah, no, great. I think I may be a blockbuster video for, for Halloween. It might be a good costume, but yeah, that's our show. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. See y'all.